This is a Suno India production and you're listening to Beyond Chamila. Hello everyone, this is Yunus Lasania, your host for this podcast Beyond Charminar. This episode is actually going to be a very special one. In, in fact, all the episodes that we will be airing or releasing in September this year will be important and special uh, because it has something to do with one part of Hyderabad's history that is less known or you know something actually that has been suppressed. from as far back as 70 years ago basically after independence 2017 was when india celebrated 70 years of it getting independence from the british the funny thing is that the independence day in 1947 did not mean anything to hyderabad hyderabad city as we know it till 1948 was hyderabad state which was basically the princely state of hyderabad Uh, it comprised parts of maharashtra parts of karnataka and telangana the andhra or the present day andhra and rayalseema areas were with the british hyderabad state uh, during independence had 16 districts which basically was eight districts in telangana and eight in maharashtra during or after 15th august 1947 most princely states joined the indian union but a handful actually refused to do that and one of them was hyderabad in fact the state of hyderabad which was ruled by the nizam the last nizam was mir usman ali khan he refused to join india or pakistan and chose to stay independent or at least that's what he wanted to do and he tried to stall joining the indian union for as long as a year but didn't work <laughs> The Nizam, the world's richest man and ruler of 16 million people, has been given a breathing space. Within the next 12 months, the man whose palace is a showpiece of the world may realize that the only future for his state is in joining the Indian Union. Uh so that is what we'll be talking about today and this part of history is actually not in our textbooks nor is it anywhere else. You know for the longest time uh, we in Telangana had a complaint that our history was something that uh, was erased that part of history is not even easy to find i mean if you start looking for uh, books and other sources you will find some uh, material here and there but nothing you know that you will find that that you will be able to source easily why september is important is because uh, the erstwhile state of hyderabad was actually annexed to india on september 17 1948 after the indian union sent the army on september 13th to basically take over negotiations basically broke down between the nizam and indian government when the indian army was sent or during or after what it is called as operation polo that particular military operation now the issue was not the fact that hyderabad became part of india but the fact that a lot of people more specifically muslims were killed during that process there is the other flip side also of the razar of the razakars led by qasim rizvi who basically acted as they were basically a uh, terrorizing people and in some parts they were even uh, uh, targeting hindus people of the world we have been attacked by india because we just wanted to live free 
Hyderabad can solve the minority problem of the subcontinent if only you wish. Otherwise, we in millions will just die with honor rather than submit and die an ignoble death. So essentially, what happened was after 1947, August 15th, uh, the Nizam, Mir Usman Ali Khan, refused to join India. Now, before 1947 itself, what had happened was in 1946, the communists who were actually gaining strength in the Telangana areas only because the state was actually quite backward in terms of education. From what I know, the literacy rate was not more than five to six percent, and it was quite bad in the districts. The districts. particularly were actually controlled by the jagirdars who directly worked under the nizam in telangana under the last nizam what happened was that uh, see the state itself at that point of time was seeing a revolt by peasants uh, who were essentially facing a lot of oppression from landlords who were known as jagirdars dora is the telugu word for them because of the extreme operation in 1946 two incidents happened chakali ailamma was he was a revolutionary leader who basically participated in that revolt against landlord which is called as the telangana armed struggle or telangana rebellion she was one of the initial people who defied the zamindar or the landlord who was known as vishnur vishnur i think is the village where he was from vishnur ramchandra reddy was his name she refused to give him her produce that was one instance after which peasants uh, along with uh, peasants who were supported by the communists gathered against the landlord and started fighting back the other incident that took place during that period was the killing of one person named doddi komareya so these two incidents essentially sparked the uh, telangana armed struggle and that was continuing and the communists essentially gave a call to call to arms against the landlords mr burugula narsing rao who was also very active at that period and was also close to makdum mohyuddin also is the nephew of the first chief minister of hyderabad state the state existed until 1956 when the joint andhra pradesh was created uh, his uncle was Burgula Ramakrishna Rao who was the first chief minister of the Hyderabad state uh, Narsing Rao was in fact uh, a young student leader at the Nizam college and he also participated in the movement with the communists and he was also roughed up and beaten up and saw a lot of things and he can give us a completely different view of the of this history that we know I come from a family which was politically involved in the history of telangana even as a young boy living in my village that's where i had my initial education that was the time when there was no government schools in the rural areas so my father he established a school in our house which catered to everyone in the village they respect the caste religion and all that later i came over to the city as admitted in a high school i did my high schooling from there i moved to nizam college straight away intermediate ba ma 
सिक्स इयर्स आई वाज द निजाम कॉलेज आई डेड माय एमए इन पॉलिटिकल साइंस फ्रॉम देयर वी वर पार्टिसिपेंट्स ऑफ दैट हैदराबाद फ्रीडम मूवमेंट बट वेयर वर दिस फेलोस देयर देयर नथिंग टू डू विद इट एंड टुडे दे कम एंड वांट टू एक्सप्लोर द होल थिंग बिकॉज़ दे हैव वन ट्रैक माइंड दैट इज एंटी मुस्लिम the nizam was a muslim he was not a muslim they won't have made use of it but they have to make use of everything they talk lies everybody talks lies modi and company everyone are if nehru was not there kashmir won't have come into india it was declared independence or come to pakistan now that ak patel patel what her who would have listened to patel patel had absolutely no connection with the kashmir problem that's a hyderabad okay hyderabad but what are so special about it we were all fighting and then we were representing to the government of india took a action here finally they decided okay patel was home minister to that extent we give credit to him but it was not his personal decision It was a cabinet decision. Without Nehru, he couldn't have done anything. But you know that whole period was full of conflicts. It was a very complex phenomena, a very dangerous time. The Nizam Satyagraha was there. There are some people here who are politically conscious and try to organize. the people at various levels make them aware and all that in that the most important part played in telangana was the andhra mahasabha in telangana andhra mahasabha was a, a nationalist organization which sort of strove for conscientizing the people in telangana and fighting for their rights against the landlords big deshmukhs jagirdas and others so this was a body which played a very major role in the social and political life of telangana well the whole complex history of hyderabad it <laughs> you had a muslim ruler and a huge population which was non muslim in hyderabad there is a continuing history from the time of the khutub shahis who built the charminar the golconda fort was built by the kakatiyas khutub shahis succeeded the kakatiyas they were very liberal in their outlook they came from iran they were shias much more broad minded they were visionaries Kulakutushar wrote poetry in Telugu. It was surprised to learn the state of Hyderabad. It was a multilingual state. Telangana, Maratwada, Karnataka, three different regions, three languages, and Urdu. <coughs> Urdu being the official language. After all, those were the days of monarchs all over the world, everywhere. Feudal order. 
large chunks of land owned by a few dynasties. They sort of exploited the peasantry, not only economically but socially also. They did not allow them to move, to come out of the small grooves in which they were imprisoned. Monarchy, autocratic monarchy, despotism was common all over the world. England, France, here, there, everywhere. So was the case with us in India. Jangam was apparently one of the uh, most oppressed areas in that sense. About 259 villages were under 11 Jagirdars during 46-47. So that was happening parallelly and in 47, as you all know, we got independence. See, the British, we need to also understand this, unlike the rest of the country where they were basically ruling, were actually not directly ruling in Hyderabad, but that uh, the Nizam had a lot more independence than the other princely states in India. So it functioned like a separate country, which is probably one of the reasons why the Nizam wanted to stay independent. Around independence, the Langana arms struggle was going. What had happened in for 1944 before that was that there was one person named Bahadur Yarjang, who was apparently a very powerful orator uh, and leader of the Majlis-e-Ittihad-ul-Muslimin, MIM. Apparently he was a very powerful orator and somebody who had a lot of control over the masses. He died in 1944, leaving a gap, which was eventually filled by one man, Qasim Rizvi from Latur in Maharashtra. Now, this man, in very simple words, was a no-good lawyer. He didn't really have the greatest sensibilities of what to happen. And he started his own brand of misplaced Hyderabadi nationalism, saying that the state will remain independent. So he started something called the Razakars, which essentially means volunteers. and they were apparently training to quote unquote defend hyderabad from india and things like that but the fact of the matter is that the, the razakars in hyderabad you know if you talk to anyone elderly person you will understand that they didn't have arms nor were they properly trained they used to basically take sticks around and uh, you know do marches and that kind of stuff maybe they did it have some uh, arms and uh, from what i know the razakars basically go around looting or harassing and even uh, you know targeting people across the entire uh, erstwhile state of hyderabad but they were largely contained in telangana because the communists and the peasants were basically fighting the razakars landlords and simultaneously the state apparatus or the state police a lot of landlords had also joined the razakars primarily it was a muslim militia Uh, Kazim Rizvi was in fact also arrested after for 1948 and jailed for 10 years and later sent to Pakistan. Parallelly, you had the Razakars running around causing a lot of trouble. Where there were no communists in Maharashtra and Karnataka, the Razakars were definitely causing a lot of trouble. Essentially, by 1947, Kazim Rizvi actually managed to get a lot of political control, and at the same time, the Hyderabad government had different pe- that one and a half year period before 1948 saw a couple of people. different prime ministers were appointed because of the situation mir like ali was the last person who was appointed he was actually in pakistan working with jinnah and he was called back to take over some people say that he knew that the hyderabad state basically did not have a great army and that you know he kept misleading the nizam into thinking that the state could defend itself when in fact the state barely had trained people or trained army which could do that one of the prime ministers appointed before him called the nawab of chatari apparently during all that commotion uh, 
local people uh, caught him and roughed him up and tonsured or basically shaved off his head and mustaches to after 1947 august on november 1st 1947 there was something called the standstill agreement that was signed between hyderabad and india for a period of year where there were lot of negotiations that were held walter monckton was an advisor who was negotiating on behalf of hyderabad the british withdrew leaving the nizam dry he had nothing the whole reason the british were in hyderabad state the british signed something called the treaty of subsidiary alliance in 1798 essentially it meant that the nizam was paying the british certain sum of money to have their army here whenever he needed you know for war or for whatever purpose and in 1947 the british basically withdrew so the nizam was left now with no one to fight for him that one year period of uh, standstill agreement never went through because the negotiations always faltered the person who represented india at that point of time was one came munshi who was close to gandhi and also sardar patel sardar patel was the one who sent him here sardar patel was the home minister at that point of time negotiations always went through came munshi mir laikali and the rest basically the usmanabad collector last collector of usmanabad district is mr mohammad haider he also wrote a book on what happened during that period of turmoil so in that he writes that kasim rizvi towards the end of september or in mid september whenever they learned that the indian army had come essentially he mentions in that book that kasim rizvi also ordered razakars to attack hindus which is something that a lot of people were traumatized by i have been talking to a lot of people who lived through that time most of them agree that the razakars went around targeting people hindus especially some of them say that whoever knew kasim rizvi personally were spared in my personal opinion i think kasim rizvi was a maniac that he basically was responsible for what had happened also and most people agree with this so when we come into the late 19th century the rest of india was going through a turmoil there is the congress then there was the muslim league various other parties and uh, where did hyderabad fit in in all this as a princely state it was sort of an island the rest of india was going through a massive transformation and hyderabad kept itself aloof from the rest of the country that ideology of the asaf jais i would say which made the last nizam usman ali khan who wanted to keep hyderabad an independent kingdom all that the government of india wanted that they should accede to the indian union they offered the nizam a number of concessions and all that there was this body majlis e ittehadul muslimin in the 30s it became very active and it had a leader was a powerful speaker bahadur yarjang and he propounded a theory that hyderabad is a muslim kingdom sovereignty rests with the nizam and since he is a muslim all the muslims of hyderabad they share in that sovereignty now that was 12% population muslims in the whole of hyderabad state what about the 88% of the people non muslim then bother to fight them from north india came the arya samaj people they played a major role in hyderabad politics at that time in the 1930s 
the congress was not yet born here but the andhra mahasabha was very active it is from the andhra mahasabha that the congress communist came out later on as we move on into the 40s as the talks for independence were going on the british did not bother to solve the problem of the princely states the indian independence act of 1947 simply said the princely states are left free to do what they want so the nizam said i will be independent government only offered many terms and conditions they negotiated other states they all agreed they signed the instrument of accession my sir travancore jodhpur jaipur and other states but hyderabad did not so the nizam went on being very obstinate he had a bunch of mad fellows as his advisers and the maddest fellow was qasim rasul the leader of the majlis he said musliman hyderabad muslimanon ka riyasat hai hum isko barqarar rakhenge lal qila pe jhanda lehrayenge things like that i heard him speak it led to a lot of crisis now coming back to operation polo itself on september 13 you know after the situation kept getting worse especially in the districts after the indian army came a lot of local goons or people who had personal enmity were given a free hand in looting or killing or whatever it was that is the reason why so many people were killed and this is not something that i am saying on my own uh, there is something called the pandit sundarlal committee report sundarlal pandit sundarlal was sent by jawaharlal nehru to then prime minister to look into the uh, mass killings and in his report he writes that an estimated 27000 to 40000 people were killed now but that is not where the story ends uh, after hyderabad was integrated with india the indian army actually stayed back for about 2 to 3 years more simply because of the communists who were in fact banned and they were not willing to give up arms because you know even till 1948 itself the communists managed to free a lot of the areas that were controlled by jagirdars to the point where they were even able to establish uh, local gram rajas or you know self governing council now the indian army in fact stayed back to essentially crush the communist revolt within operation polo itself the history of the communist and the telangana arms struggle has completely been lost i mean of course the communists are celebrated every year but the communists itself themselves are you know coming down in numbers politically and at the same time also if you know people ask me about usman ali khan himself i honestly don't think he was a bad person in fact there are there are different versions of the story saying that uh, usman ali khan was even ready to accede to india before uh, operation polo took place but that whatever he had signed uh, was not allowed to go to delhi by especially uh, because the razakars had or qasim rizvi had gotten to know of, of it and basically uh, the person who was being sent to delhi to uh, you know with that document was stopped and his its documents were torn off uh, now there are different versions of this but basically it is said that usman ali khan himself had uh, more or less made up his mind now i would have not believed that but then the fact that usman ali khan was made governor and not arrested after operation polo itself says something that he was possibly on good terms with the indian government 
so i mean he was the uh, raj pramukh or a governor until 1956 now coming back to operation polo itself so one of the reasons why uh, i am also know a lot about this is because i am currently interviewing people who have witnessed operation polo you know doesn't matter if they were children or if they were youngsters or if they were just a teenager people will remember something given the turbulence that took place at that point of time so far i have interviewed a few dozen people you know from different parts there was a lot of anger especially due to the razakars because uh, you know it's it's not just the fact that uh, they have they targeted people see uh, anyone who had a different view against the state for you know who are against the idea or who wanted to join india were considered to be enemies the best example i can give you is the murder of journalist shoebullah khan in august 1948 apparently he used to write for a newspaper called imroz and he had a very pro india stance razakars gave out a call saying that anybody who would uh, take an anti hyderabad or, or a pro india stance would be killed or you know that they would face consequences so and that consequence was the murder of shoebullah khan narsing rao uh, is the one who even witnessed it he will be the person to tell us what happened that fateful night so 1946 selves as a turning point while negotiations at the national level were going on princely states most of them more or less agreed to the terms given by the government of india hyderabad refused i and my colleagues we belong to a body called all hyderabad students union we were active student leaders on the 15th of august 1947 what happened in hyderabad i am a witness to that i am a participant we hoisted the national flag on its office in sultan bazaar and many others did it basti basti galle galle the tiranga was being flown the police could not manage the hyderabad government banned the hoisting of national flag now the government of india was confronted with a situation of partition and the country was divided lakhs and lakhs of people went from here to pakistan and lakhs and lakhs came from pakistan into india now that was a major problem they had to tackle well the government of india wanted some time they wanted some breathing space to tackle the hyderabad problem Meanwhile, here they have signed an agreement with the Nizam. It is called the Standstill Agreement. For a period of one year, that agreement was to last. There was reaction, and by that time, in forty-seven, the communists gave a call for armed struggle. It was an armed struggle against the Nizams, Razakars, and the landlords. Landlords were predominantly. Hindu. Now the majlis began organizing a militia. All these young fellows were recruited as razakars. They were given small guns and swords, what not. And later on, when the police action took place, all these razakars went and fell under the Indian tanks. It's a tragedy. On the twenty-second of August, nineteen forty-eight. A Muslim journalist was killed by the Razakars. 
have an eyewitness to that. His name is Shaivullah Khan. He brought out an Urdu daily paper by name Amaroz. Its office was in our house. My uncle patronized that. He was a nationalist. He was committed. He used to write very good, well-balanced articles, editorials and all that, asking the Nizam to make a settlement with the government of India, not to fall in the trap of the fanatics. But the fellow fell into the fire and the trap. Of course, there is a question mark. Did the Nizam do it on his own? Or was he imprisoned by the much less Qasim Razum? The government of India, particularly Nehru, he asked the Nizam to think about the future. Not just his future, but the future of the Muslims in Hyderabad. Nehru wrote a letter to the Nizam saying, this is my last letter. He said, letters, get over this, settle the matter. And any dream, ambition of remaining independent is a mirage. It can't work. Please try to understand. We are prepared to give any number of concessions. He went to the extent of saying, we shall have a responsible government in Hyderabad and a lectured assembly. He was killed. That shocked everyone. In fact, Nehru reacted two days later, I think. He said, this shows to what extent Hyderabad has gone down in its governance and intolerance, etc., that even a Muslim journalist cannot survive. This was a the whole country was shocked. Well, that was the beginning of the end, shall I say. I bid him goodbye in the night. One normally one one thirty, they used to close the office. No. I bid him goodbye and we crossed the his house was nearby. Along with him was his brother in law. From the other side, a few Razakars came. They fired. Then they with swords and what not. They cut his right palm. Because Qasim Razvi had said ten days before in a meeting, those who write against us, their writing palm will be cut down to pieces. And they did it. And his brother-in-law's left arm was cut down. 22nd August, 13th September. Hardly three weeks time, the government of India came in. The rest of the thing is history. Everybody knows the story. And an army came in. Matter of five days, everything was over. Four young Muslims got massacred. The men under my command were called upon to perform a superhuman task and against very heavy odds. There was no alternative for me left but to surrender. Hyderabad problem was something which could have been solved, but it was not. They could have avoided all this bloodshed and we know it. After the police action, in Marathwada particularly, Muslims were massacred. Nanded, Aurangabad, Usmanabad and all those areas. As the Indian army marched ahead, local people, their animosities, fights, all that came into the fore. They went on harassing the Muslims, killing them, abducting Muslim women and all that. 
It is a massive thing in Marathwada. Luckily, nothing of that sort happened in Telangana. In this, this brief introduction or this introduction to Operation Polo was just to make you all understand the relevance and importance of this, especially at a time in India when we are seeing a lot of generalized communalization in everyday life. Operation Polo will give us quite a bit of perspective, especially in terms of that and also we tend to look at partition, you know, that it affected so many people and things like that. But something that took place in our own cities or in our own region and it is something that we are unaware of and if there is anybody out there who feels that they have family members or they who have family members who have witnessed operation polo and still want to share some of their memories with us they are most welcome to reach out and contact us and we'll be more than happy to come and uh, meet them and interview them so thank you thank you all for listening to this episode of beyond charminar you can subscribe to this podcast on any podcasting app of your choice subscribe to suno india on www.sunoindia.in